Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I had the opportunity to meet with Chuck DeGroat this week. Chuck is a professor at Western Theological Seminary and senior fellow at Newbegin House of Studies in San Francisco. He served as a pastor at churches in Orlando and San Francisco and founded two church-based counseling centers. Chuck is a licensed therapist and spiritual director and has been counseling pastors with narcissistic personality disorder, as well as those wounded by narcissistic leaders and systems for over 20 years. He is the author of several books, including his most recent entitled, When Narcissism Comes to Church. Now, in today's episode, Chuck and I discuss the challenges around narcissism that we see in the contemporary church, including the devastation pastors with narcissistic personality disorder can create. With the rise in high-profile cases of narcissistic behavior in churches, this is a fascinating and much-appreciated discussion. Chuck shares some of the tendencies that narcissistic leaders possess and a key difference between pastors who are leading with true vision and passion and those who are leading from a place of narcissism. So let's jump right into my conversation with Chuck DeGroat. Chuck, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Such a joy to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Chuck, you have been counseling pastors with narcissistic personality disorder, as well as uh, counseling those who've been wounded by narcissistic leaders and systems for over two decades. Can you briefly explain to us what exactly is narcissistic personality disorder? Uh, there's a clinical, sort of a clinical way of getting at this. And then I, I really expand on that because I think the faces of narcissism are, are many. Uh, the clinical definitions get at aspects like grandiosity. Um, that mm-hmm. person that sort of needs to be on stage, uh, needs to be in the limelight, uh, a sense of entitlement uh, that he or she sort of deserves uh, more and more and more. Uh, one of the key ones that people don't think about is a, a lack of empathy, uh, really just an incapacity to, to get in someone else's shoes. Those are some of the core uh, features of it uh, sort of around that. What you'll find also uh, is what the, the, uh, what clinicians call identity and intimacy impairments. In other words, you're going to see you're going to see vocationally, you're going to see in relationships a de- debris field of pain, and so that sort of gets at the core clinical definition of it. Uh, and I think the caricature that most people think about when they think about narcissism. Interesting, um, really interesting because some of the things that that you um, speak about when we're thinking of pastors, um, like a lack of empathy. You know, just naturally, when you think of a pastor, I think you and I both have have served as pastors, and you're in a unique position because not only have you served as a pastor, but you're also a licensed therapist, you're a spiritual director, um, you know, you're a professor who's been studying this um, for for quite some time. And, And what's interesting is when you think of a pastor, a lack of empathy is not something that at all comes to mind, right? That's exactly right. I mean, you think that kind of one of the basic qualifications of a pastor would be empathy, right? right. Um, and and one of the things I say is that uh, these these folks who are are clinically narcissistic personality disorder, right? There's a spectrum of narcissism, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Um, there may be some particular habits that look more narcissistic, but those who are, are clinically narcissistic personality disorder uh, can show a kind of faux vulnerability. I mean, they could sort of make you think because they're they're attuned, right? They're like chameleons. They're attuned to what others are feeling. They walk into a room and they sort of know where they stand right away. So for for some, it may appear like they're empathetic. It might They'll even say to me, it seemed like he cared or it seemed like he was really interested in me, but there's not a capacity for a, sort of a genuine interest because the only thing that they can see is their own uh, sort of idealized image. Ah, uh, that, that makes more sense. Now, Chuck, can you give us a picture of how prevalent this narcissistic personality disorder is among leaders of the evangelical church here in America? Yeah. So that's a tough one because uh, as, as far as I know, and I looked far and wide and I, I talked to people who should know, there aren't good statistics on this, mm -hmm. right? There just are there have not been the kinds of uh, real sort of quantitative studies done to give us hard statistics. Um, I know uh, one of the things I say in there is I've been doing psych assessments for 15 years, uh, pastors from from uh, primarily my own denomination, uh, but some some sort of more broadly. I've been doing church planter assessments too. And uh, the large majority of pastors that I see are on the spectrum of what they, we call cluster B personality disorders, which includes narcissism. Now, that doesn't mean that um, like two thirds are narcissistic or NPD, right? It just mm -hmm. means that a large majority of pastors sort of test in that area, which is not entirely surprising. I mean, when you think about like 90% of the general public doesn't like to get on stage and speak, you know, right, right. Um, this, this is sort of a rare breed, you know, pastors and lawyers and politicians and things like that. So it doesn't surprise me that they're sort of in that narcissistic family. Um, but we don't really have hard and fast statistics uh, as far as uh, it goes for pastors. We just know uh, many of us who do this work uh, have just seen it, seen the prevalence of it with our own eyes. So it's more anecdotal. Right, right. And, and from that, and from what you've experienced, the conversations you've had, the work that you've done, would yeah. you say that um, this narcissistic personality disorder is pretty prevalent in pastors? Or would you say that it's more, as you mentioned, you know, the kind of trend in this basic yeah. personality area as pastors, but not necessarily to the degree of actually um, having this disorder? Yeah, right. So when we talk about that spectrum that I mentioned, right. uh, we talk about narcissistic style, type, and then disorder. And I often say like style is like, uh, you know, having um, th this, uh, like a, a, a light cold, maybe, you know, uh, type is like a, a bad, really bad cough on top of a cold. And disorder is like a full blown flu. Hmm. So you will have symptoms. And, and I'd say that um, by and large, uh, the majority of pastors that I've I've worked with uh, test in, like I said, that cluster B. That that contains a couple of other different personality disorders too that look a little bit like narcissism, and so uh, the the large majority sort of test in that cluster. Uh, that that doesn't necessarily need to alarm us. Uh, there are some attributes on that narcissistic spectrum that uh that can be positives you know there is a kind of confidence there's a capacity to sort of um uh influence in ways that other people don't wake up in the morning and, and long to have influence in the world right there are there are relational capacities it's not necessarily alarming until they sort of start to trend up 
Uh, but uh, again, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say in terms of a percentage uh, to generalize to like the entire pastor, evangelical pastoral population. It's just that those of us who, who do this work are seeing uh, more and more uh, men in particular on the narcissistic spectrum, and that's alarming. Interesting. So you've, you've noticed, uh, or do you believe that there is an increase um, in this within leadership in the church? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And that's been the big puzzle, right? Because mm -hmm. we've, uh, we, you could almost sort of connect this to a much larger conversation that dates all the way back to Genesis chapter three, right? <laughs> so, I mean, like I'd want to say, yeah, narcissism has been around for a while, right? Um, and 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 certainly uh, when the church sort of uh, 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 let's say got in bed with Constantine and the empire, uh, right. if I could say that on the podcast, um, there there was this sort of conflation of church and empire, and you know, there's an allure to power. Uh, it's it's sort of to me goes in the opposite direction of the self-emptying um, uh, servanthood and humility of Jesus, right? But there's an alert of power. Uh, we saw in the Catholic Church uh, this sort of massive reckoning with an abuse of power, sexual mm -hmm. abuse in the church. And, and I see narcissism all over that. Um, the question that I have is more related to church planning. I mean, I've been in and around church planning circles for, for well over 20 years now. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm talking about non-denominational networks and in my first denomination, the PCA. And, you know, the, the, the folks that I talk to about this and who are engaged in church planning would say that there's a kind of personality that checks the boxes for a church planter that doesn't necessarily look like your hospital chaplain. Right. Um, you know, your social worker, your educator, whatever it might be, whatever kind of ministry there is. And so we've, we've seen this more in the church planning world. And that, again, I, I don't want people to hear this and say, ah, oh, Chuck thinks all church planners are narcissists. Uh, <laughs> you know, by, by no means. I just want to say that uh, in, in a lot of the assessments that I've done, uh, we've had conversations about how even some of the, the actual assessments that they go through, uh, the written assessments, match up. You know, when they when they check all the boxes for the kinds of things that make for a good church planner, some of those things match up really well with narcissistic personality disorder. And so that's where we really have to sort of combine the best of our wisdom on what makes a good church planter and what sort of amounts to a clinical pathology. And that's that's a hard conversation to have. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And, and Chuck, let me ask you this, because I know that um, as church planners, many have more of a kind of an entrepreneurial spirit and mm -hmm. we have recognized even in in kind of the realm of you know entrepreneurs that there are certain entrepreneurs um company founders even yes. that tend to have this narcissistic tendency as well yeah. Yeah. um is that all related in some way i think what you're getting at is, at is that there's a certain kind of personality right that Right. It's the bill, right. And I, uh, I served as a pastor in, in San Francisco. And so, you know, we, we had a number of founders in our church and, and it's a, yeah, it's a certain kind of personality that doesn't mind being the center of attention, doesn't mind being on stage that, that has grandiose ideas. I mean, there are certain people that are born into this world who sort of 
like they don't they don't see the impossibility they see the possibility right right and, right and um not only am i going to build a church but we are going to witness to all of san francisco and beyond you know that that kind of personality that doesn't necessarily mean you're npd um it does mean that there are features of grandiosity there that might be present that we might want to have a conversation about and, and you know what i'd say also is that what i've seen more of too that gives me hope is uh is that pastors are becoming more curious about this. Mm. Uh, I'm within church planning networks. I mean, I'm, I'm in a conversation right now with a, a larger church planning network where they want to, they want to build in some safeguards in and around narcissism. And they want to use some of the work that I've done and some others have done to do that. And that's encouraging to me that we're, we're actually having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating, Chuck. Now, as, as we're talking through this um, again, you know, there's certain things like, for example, vision, you know, I mean, vision is, is yeah. uh, an important yeah. element when it comes to um, leading a church. And so I, I'm just curious, can you, can you help explain for us? And, and you've touched on some of these, but just to, to clarify, can you help explain some of the differences between someone who might display maybe some narcissistic tendencies? Yes. As opposed to someone with actual narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, there's sort of, uh, let's take the vision thing for a second. I'll give okay. you an example because sometimes stories help, right? Yeah. Um, and so take two different pastors that I'm thinking of uh, that I had in mind when I was doing my writing too. One was a pastor who was very centered, uh, was engaged in some spiritual direction work, uh, had, had really done his inner work, but was a visionary and uh, a large church pastor. And when I did some work with that church, I remember talking to some of the staff members who said, uh, you know, he, he does have these grand visions, but he's so centered that we trust him and we believe him. And when we come to him and give him feedback, he listens uh, and, and then he will he will adjust his course. If there are enough of us who say, hey, I think we're going in the wrong direction, mm -hmm. as opposed to the church that I worked with, where the staff feedback was every week, it's a new vision. He's so visionary that, you know, there are on a Saturday night, he might say, we're scrapping the entire sermon series and we're going in this direction. And, you know, it might be 9 p.m. on a Saturday night, but he has the whole like AV and technology team working to to change, you know, change the whole format of the service. And and so there are things like that where it's a more kind of frenzied visionary. Uh, the second one is a more frenzied visionary versus a more centered visionary that I think become key in these conversations. Yeah, and, and that makes perfect sense because, you know, the rootedness and the centered piece of it yeah. that you mentioned, because obviously God uses men and women who have, you know, and gives them vision and gives them influence and gives them that that passion to make a, a difference, right? I mean, that's that's who God calls into to ministry oftentimes. And um, whenever they're centered and they're walking in step with the Spirit, um, that can be a beautiful thing, but whenever they're kind of running on their own and more caught up in in kind of their their own vision, their own ideas, and you know don't really give consideration to the other people on the journey with them, um, that's when you can kind of see more of the the, the NPD issues you know arising. Is that fair? I, I think I think that's that's completely fair, right? And mm -hmm. so I, I think that centeredness is so very important. And I've seen, I've worked with pastors who might be on the narcissistic spectrum 
And they might've gotten some feedback like, Hey, you're, you're impulsive and inconsistent in your leadership. Um, you know, there are times when it feels like uh, you've got to make all the decisions and they'll, they'll do the inner work to get to a place of greater groundedness. Mm. Uh, those with NPD are really not interested in doing that work. I mean, there's such, such a high wall of defense that keeps them from any, any sense of vulnerability, which leads to any sense of honest confession or repentance that, uh, that's where we get into problems. Interesting. It's very, very interesting. Now, Chuck, you you literally uh, wrote the book on this. Um, you have a book entitled "When Narcissism When Narcissism Comes to Church." Yeah. And and in that book, um, you write, "quote Within churches, a narcissist might even be described as charismatic, gifted, confident, smart, strategic, agile, and compelling." And as we've talked, I, I kind of anticipate your answer to this question I want to ask, but I do want to ask it. Do you think that churches in particular are susceptible to being taken over by those with narcissistic personalities? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, and that's a hard question. Uh, are, are churches in particular susceptible? Um, I, I I don't know if I can say yes, because I I. Uh, there's so there's so many church. I, I'm a part of a denomination where there are some beautiful churches all across the Midwest that are small that don't attract these kinds of uh, leaders, you know, and that are just doing the everyday work of caring for one another and caring for their community. They're engaged missionally, um, and and that's a beautiful thing. I do think there are certain kinds of churches and we're living in a particular kind of time. And we alluded to it earlier where there, there is this kind of addiction to success, um, mm. to, uh, to winning, you know, to achieving, to growing, to, you know, the sort of models of church models of church planting that are, uh, that are sort of premised on um, stages of growth and getting to certain markers. I, I've got a doctor of ministry student who I'm working with right now, who's a church planter, and he's writing on the shame he experienced in the church planting process, because there were all these markers for growth. And like, if you didn't get there, you weren't a part of the club. And there, there was a sense in, in which every time he didn't meet yet another marker, uh, shame, shame grew in him. And so I think there are particular kinds of churches, church planting networks, um, that are more inclined to this than others, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I wouldn't want to paint the entire church with broad brushstrokes, right? And we might right. even say that in in, um, in the West, we may be more inclined to this than the global church. And that's a conversation to have too. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So the, the um, you know, we, we live in a society here, here in the U.S. specifically where um, – you know, productivity is idolized. Um, achievement is idolized in a way. Yes. And and it's it's one of those um, challenging things to navigate, especially as pastors. I mean, we know this, Chuck. And it's because you want to you want to do your your best for Christ in the kingdom. You know, yeah. you want to um, you're passionate about you know the brokenness in the world, and yeah. so there's this desire to um, you know reach more people. And help disciple more people and make a bigger difference, which which are good in and of themselves. So, yeah. can you talk to me a little bit about how those that um, tend to wrestle with narcissism, those specific that might even have NPD, how how are they viewing these? You know that that kind of sense of of calling and distorting it to some degree. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's a desire we all have to have an impact in the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of, we're, we're recording this during COVID-19 and frontline workers. I know someone who just really longs to have an impact. And she talks about making a difference during this time. And she shows up in a way that's self-sacrificial each and every day. Um, there's a difference between um, uh, making Im an impact and having to have an impact, having to make an impact. Like, there's something that comes from the very center of one's being, like, I have to do this. Like, my identity uh, is staked on having an impact on the world. And, and we're seeing this, by the way, more and more uh, as, as, we, uh, as we're recording this. I'm thinking about just in the last year, some of the notable suicides within the church mm -hmm. in, uh, in church planting networks where uh, men in particular, and I've had this conversation recently with, with a few church planter friends of mine, men in particular who long to have a big impact in the world. And in some cases had, had a pretty substantial impact, published a few books, uh, built large churches, but who at their core felt really empty and depressed. And, and the having the impact was sort of the antidote to the depression for them. So whenever they were succeeding, they were sort of warding off this inner sense of emptiness. But those who knew them, and, and this group of church planners I was with recently who sort of knew one of these guys said, we, we always knew that um, in those quiet times, sort of after the big event, uh, that he was wrestling with his demons. And I, and I think you're right. I, th I think the desire to have an impact, even the desire to achieve, these are not bad things in and of themselves. But I do think there is a kind of, we're living in a season where there is a kind of addiction to, to impact. And when we, look, when we look out there, think about uh, social media and how that's changed things. Wow, he, he has 10,000 followers. She has 30,000 followers. You know, it's never enough. I'm talking right. to a guy who had 30,000 followers uh, in counseling about a year ago, and um, he was wrestling with the fact that he's not yet up to 100,000 followers. You know, and what does that mean for him? Mm. Wow, we are constantly competing and comparing and measuring, and that says something about what's going on in the depth of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Now, now, Chuck, you've mentioned a couple of times in our conversation already um, about, you know, men and in, in struggling yeah. with this. In your work counseling pastors with MPD, have you encountered many women with this disorder or are they typically male? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think that um, I don't think NPD is exclusive to men. Certainly the, the number, sort of the general statistics um, do do show that men uh, suffer from this more than women. Uh, but uh, I also think that the large majority of our church planting networks are complementarian. Uh, mm -hmm. The large majority of our church planters are men. Uh, if that changes in the next 20 years, I think we'll see many women with narcissistic personality disorder. Right. Um, so I don't think it's exclusive to men. I just think it's what we're seeing right now because the numbers sort of favor men in terms of um, uh, visible leadership posi positions and, you know, all the stats show that men are in the majority when it comes to lead pastor positions and church planting. Um, and, and so that's where we are right now. That could change. Yeah, that, that makes sense, Chuck. Now, you describe a system of, uh, of structure, shame, and control that yeah. prevail in churches with narcissistic leaders. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about what does this system look like in a church? 
Yeah, so there are narcissistic individuals, but then there's this sort of phenomenon of, of systemic or collective narcissism that you, you, might, um, you might want to talk about. So uh, when we look at collective narcissism, uh, what we see is, is kind of the, the features of narcissism showing up in a group of people. And so that sense of grandiosity is now shared by an entire group of people within an organization. Uh, so an uh, example that I give in the book is um, a buddy of mine who got a job at a large ministry where he had sort of succeeded a couple of other CEOs of this large organization who had led it in a direction that I would say was pretty narcissistic. And when he got there, he realized that there was this collective sense that we are better than any other organization doing this kind of discipleship ministry. Hmm. And, um, and, and, and he'd sit around staff meetings and listen in and hear them mocking other people and other, other organizations. Uh, when, when they'd craft social media posts, they do it in such a way that they were sort of passive aggressively throwing another organization under the bus. And, and I remember him calling me and describing it like a train wreck. He said, I, I thought that I was sort of inheriting this job, stewarding this organization that, that had a big impact in the world. He was excited about it. And yet he experienced this sense of grandiosity and entitlement. We're the only organization that does this, does this well, that will ever do it well. And it was deeply discouraging. Uh, that ha happened over time as there was a shared sense of, of grandiosity, right? And um, we can see this in a, uh, we can see this in big organizations. And by the way, we can see it in small churches too. Mm. I give the example of a, a smaller church in in Iowa where they uh, there was a sense that we are the only church in town that preaches the gospel. We are the true church, and there was this collective sense that we are the only ones following Jesus, um, living out the gospel faithfully. All the other churches in town have abandoned the gospel, and there was a collective sense of grandiosity there too in this smaller, like eighty-person church. That, that that's interesting, and and I guess that leads me to the question: that is this something that you see more often in larger organizations, larger churches, or is this something that can be just as prevalent in a, a smaller church that a narcissistic leader can kind of take control of a, a smaller organization or a smaller church and kind of uh, run it as well? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you can see it in smaller churches. You do see it in smaller churches. Uh, uh, and uh, they just don't get the press that the large churches do, mm -hmm. right? So I'm thinking about some of the stories that have come out over the last uh, year or two or three of large churches, even mega churches, where there are these kind of um, front page scandals, right? Right. Uh, it, yeah, it's not just the mega church pastors. Um, there are small church pastors who uh, lead with these kind of um, sort of with this grandiosity, with these narcissistic kind of characteristics, uh, they just don't get the attention that the large church uh, pastors do. Yeah, yeah. And Chuck, as we're talking about some of these um, kind of front page, you know, scandals in the church in regard to narcissistic leadership, it, it brings to mind a question that that it seems that in the church it might be more challenging to confront. A narcissistic leader than maybe in the corporate world, for example. Can you talk to us a little bit about the challenge of confronting a narcissistic leader in a church setting? Yeah, yeah, right. That's good because there are there there are other dynamics going on with a church leader than there is for say a corporate leader, and 
some of that has to do with uh, the sense of spiritual leadership. Some of these pastors are ordained. They've gone through Master of Divinity programs. Um, there's an extensive ordination process. They've had to go through the hoops of perhaps church planting assessments. And so there are multiple layers of I've been vetted. Um, I'm, I joke around because now I teach in a seminary that when students graduate with the Master of Divinity, that they've mastered divinity. And I, <laughs> it's a joke, but I think that there, at times there is this sense that I have mastered divinity. I'm a reverend. I'm a reverend doctor, whatever the title might be. Uh, and so they sort of wrap themselves in the cloak of, of titles, ordination, uh, and that can be a real problem. Uh, there, there is this sense that we're looking for spiritual leaders. And oftentimes when I do my consulting work within church plants, people are confused because it's sort of like, well, I hear him get up and preach the gospel week in and week out. And I'm so moved by it. He's changed my life. His preaching has changed my life. But, you know, my husband is an elder and uh, his leadership is so impulsive and inconsistent and people have reported, uh, staff, former staff members have reported instances of abuse and uh, verbal abuse and this and that, and, and I just don't get it. So it can be really confusing for folks because these pastors are spiritual leaders. So can you give us any examples, perhaps, of like a church confronting a narcissistic leader and actually bringing about change in a healthy way? I mean, are there examples yeah. of that that's happened? There, yeah, there are examples, uh, and I'm gonna. Whenever I give an example, by the way, I, I kind of combine stories, uh, multiple stories, so that if someone's listening, they're they're not saying, "Well, Chuck's telling my story." <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I've seen it. Uh, I've see, seen it happen over and again. Now, it it general just to speak generally about it first. Uh, if someone has this inclination to confront a narcissistic pastor or leader, um, I always counsel them to sort of. Re resist that. Um, don't ever uh, confront someone on your own. And uh, but but first, go sit down with a therapist. Sit down with someone who knows about these things and do your own work so that you can get clear on what's going on. A lot of times, people go on a hunch. They see something going on and and they want to say something right away, rather than doing the work of kind of stepping back and asking. So let me let me just check in first and ask, how am I experiencing this person? What might be going on? Sitting with a therapist who knows narcissism, spiritual director, whoever it might be, a coach, and then coming up with some sort of strategy or plan. And, and when confrontation happens, um, the, the times that I see it happen well, it's not a kind of reactive confrontation. It's not a, you know, a bullying the bully kind of confrontation. Um, it usually works in and through uh, a denominational system or, you know, some sort of church polity that, that allows for uh, some, some kind of process that invites the pastor into a larger conversation uh, around how he's doing, um, some sort of assessment process. Uh, more often than not, the, the, the times that I see this work are times when the pastor voluntarily engages in some sort of process. So if I'm invited in as a consultant, the pastor is in on that. And it's not just like two or three elders going and banging on his door and going after him, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, because if you're diagnosably narcissistic, uh, you are so well defended that anyone coming um, to you with something is someone coming at you. And so the, the defenses will, will go up even more uh, in the face of a confrontation. Chuck, well, let me ask you this then. Um, 
are there individuals that have NDP that will kind of self-identify? I mean, will actually raise their hand and say, wait a second, I may have this issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or, cause it almost seems like, um, by its very, you know, what it is, you know, that, that it will, it would be very difficult for someone to admit because it's almost admitting fault. And it seems like yeah. a narcissist yeah. would never admit fault. So yeah. do you see yeah. them like raising their hand and saying, Hey, I need help or, or how does that typically work? Yeah. So there, there are two examples of this or two instances of this. One is the person, like the first two or three months after my book came out, I can't tell you how many direct messages I got on like Facebook or Twitter or something with, um, I'm a lead pastor and I'm wondering, am I a narcissist? Right. <laughs> right. So there is that, that sense of, Oh my goodness, am I one, you know? And, um, generally in those conversations, uh, that's a demonstration of humility. That's a demonstration of curiosity. And whenever I see real humility and real curiosity, I'll, I'll often say, chances are you're not. You might be on the spectrum, but I'm glad you're asking the question. Mm -hmm. And if you're really curious, there are some ways of going about finding that out. But, uh, but then there are the others who sort of preemptively say, well, oh, of course I'm on the narcissistic spectrum, but I am not NPD. It's sort of like a... Um, it's sort of like a way of getting around it, like anticipating that someone is going to diagnose them or someone's going to, because I've seen this happen in consulting where they'll say, well, I'll, I'll readily admit that I'm, I'm probably on the narcissistic spectrum, but um, I have done this and I produced that and my fruits are shown through this and I've demonstrated my humility through that. And it's sort of like, let me demonstrate my great humility. <laughs> <laughs> grandiosity even in that and so there's this sort of preemptive um yeah i may be on the narcissistic spectrum but i'm not the kind of person that you think i am and so there's not the kind of curiosity and humility that you see in the first example yeah that, that's wild now in your book you uh, and, and i appreciate this you humanize um the person that is struggling with narcissistic personality yeah. disorder chuck are there things that the average person um, likely misunderstands about these people? Yeah, this might be the most controversial part of the book, to be honest, because survivors of, of abuse, um, uh, the kind of abuse that happens at the hands of narcissistic leaders uh, have come to me and said, this is really hard. And I'm not sure that I, uh, I'm not sure that you're not missing something here uh, in humanizing the narcissist. Part of what you're getting at there is what I do is I talk about the inner life of the narcissist. And what mm -hmm. I say is that we can't reduce this person down to a set of behaviors that are toxic or abusive, um, but that this person is an image bearer. And, uh, and there's, there's always a story, right? So while there may be certain, a certain disposition that one is born with, uh, what we know with narcissism that is that by and large, uh, much of what we see that amounts to narcissistic personality disorder emerges out of really painful early life experiences that might be bullying, that might be abuse, neglect, whatever it is, it's different for every person. Hmm. There's always a story. And I've had the privilege of sitting with people who are on the narcissistic spectrum, even NPD, who've allowed me in. And when we get down to that stuff, you know, the stuff of like when I was seven or eight or nine years old, this happened and this happened. Um, 
And when they begin to discover that they sort of unwittingly um, uh, sort of put up, um, put up an armor that became this sort of narcissistic mask 20 years later that emerged into this 20 years later. I mean, it's, it's a big deal for them to see that and begin the journey of healing. And so uh, then at that point, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about having empathy for someone who's narcissistic. And if you've been on the receiving end, if you're a survivor, mm-hmm. as I am, by the way, <laughs> of narcissistic abuse, um, that's, that can be really painful. Talk to me a little bit, Chuck, about um, being on the receiving end, because I know that that not only have you counseled um, leaders that yeah. struggle with the narcissistic tendencies or, or have NDP, but you've also spent a lot of time um, talking with counseling and, and helping those who have suffered under yeah. that type of abuse and that type of leadership. Talk to Talk to us a little bit about what is the encouragement that you have for those who yeah. have have suffered this type of abuse? Yeah, yeah. I think if I, I boil the whole thing down, this whole project down to one thing, um, it, it, it is to say to folks like that, you're not crazy. Hmm. You know, you're not crazy. I think that there are dy- the dynamics of narcissistic abuse in particular that make people feel crazy because particularly in churches and with pastors, because he is, he's spiritual. Um, she, she has these degrees. She preaches so well, he leads so boldly, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. It's confusing to me then that he or she is capable of doing these things that she's been accused of doing. And so, um, you know, when, when it comes to some of the more uh, sort of front page headlines of pastors who've, uh, who've perhaps, you might say fallen over the last two, three, four, five years. Um, what you find when you talk to the survivors of this, when you talk to congregation members, parishioners of these churches, is that for such a long time, um, I I was led to believe that there was no more bold leader for our time than so and so. You know that no mm-hmm. one was preaching in this way, no one had ever written in this way, no one had ever had an impact in this particular way, and yet then I find out that there was this debris field you know, 20, 30, 40 staff members over 10 years dismissed for this reason and that reason. Um, instances sometimes of, of uh, uh, sexual misconduct, abuse, certainly abuse of power wrapped up in all of that. It's so confusing for survivors. It's so confusing for ordinary members of these congregations who are now looking back and asking, like, what happened? Because this person is supposed to be spiritual, because they're on a, a pedestal, because they're on a stage. Do you find that there's, um, in working with those who've been wounded, are there many who have given given up hope on the church generally? Um, or do they tend to see that that was a, a particular person or a particular system yeah. that was, you know, yeah. set up? Yeah. Uh, this, this is so, this can be so demoralizing, debilitating, um, so sort of psychologically confusing destabilizing that some do leave church altogether uh, b- because they sort of tie their um, tie their entire identity. So l- let me step back for a moment. There, mm-hmm. There is the narcissistic leader, but then there is what we call the ideal hungry follower. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the person who has put all their eggs in this person's basket. You know, it's sort of like I am, I am, I'm seeing Christianity. I'm seeing 
um, my own spiritual journey. I'm, I'm seeing my own growth in and through the lens of you. Like a, you are my ideal image of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And when that blows up, mm. uh, their entire sort of framework for following Jesus blows up. And that's massively disorienting. And so I have a ton of empathy for women and men who walk away from churches like this, even staff members who walk away from churches. Like, I don't know what to do. My, my whole understanding of Christianity, of who Jesus is, has to be rebuilt from the bottom up. And that's how powerful this can be. Wow. Chuck, it's been a, an absolutely fascinating discussion. My, my, my final question for you is, if those who are listening in feel that they've experienced either side of this, you know, whether they, they might they might be questioning, you know, where they as a leader fall, or they may have been wounded by a narcissistic leader, or narcissistic system within the church. What what recommendations do you have for for those two groups of people? Yeah, I mean, I think simply get get care, get into counseling, get with a clinician. Um, not all therapists are great. Not all therapists understand this. So get with a therapist who understands these kinds of dynamics, um, who you trust, who hears your story, who you have a good rapport with, and begin to do the work of healing. Um, I'd say also because because we're talking about dynamics of spiritual abuse here, uh, oftentimes it's important to do work with a spiritual director uh, who's mm-hmm. like carefully attuned to the kinds of dynamics that get at how we understand God, view God, how we pray, um, how we trust God. And so th- there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. And what's what's been eye-opening to me over the years is that people can be on the periphery of a narcissistic system where there may have been some sort of abuse, blows up into something maybe scandalous, but they're on the periphery and yet they still experience some sort of trauma. Uh, Even if there's not a direct relationship, there's some sense of like, I trusted the church, but I'm not sure I can now. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that's a kind of small T trauma that you need to deal with. Uh, And so, you know, what ends up happening is uh, as a result of this, this, you're wrestling at a really deep level with ultimately with, can I trust God? Um, because God has been mediated in and through the pastor, in and through the church, in and through the, the system. And um, I'd say, by all means, do the work. Um, I've seen way too many people sort of wallow in bitterness and cynicism and uh, just in the pain and shame of their own abuse and not do the work. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just, that's painful. Yeah. Excellent, Chuck. Um, and the book that you've written is entitled When Narcissism Comes to Church. Chuck, how can people uh, get the book? And how can people, if they want to connect with you, um, the ministry you're doing, what's the best way for them to to connect to those yeah. resources? Yeah. So my website is chuckdegroat.net. Uh, that's D-E-G-R-O-A-T. Uh, that's, that's a good way to find out what's going on with me and what I'm writing. I, I blog a bit about narcissism there among other things. Uh, and the book can be found at your favorite bookseller. And I always say buy local, uh, go to your local bookstore and order it there. Excellent. Chuck, we will have those links for our listeners in the show notes on this episode. So if you want to learn more, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Uh, fascinating discussion uh, and something that I think a lot of us um, have sensed. And even as, as, as in our conversation, Chuck, we were talking about, you know, this has made kind of news unfortunately, yeah. um, in, in a lot of ways over the last few years. And so um, this is definitely something um, 
that I believe we'll be looking at and discussing more. But but yeah. there's hope, as as you've shared, there's hope that um, that we can help those who are struggling with these types of disorders and help those who have um, been wounded and have suffered yes. under this this type of leadership. So thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us, brother. God bless hey, you, my friend. Thanks for your good work too. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chuck. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcasts at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app, available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out Faith Play. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.